morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Epic Film Guys podcast. I am your host, Brian, a.k.a. Loy Sauce, and I hope you all are having a wonderful day so far. Uh, conspicuously absent this week is my co-host, Epic Film Guy Justin, as he is taking the week off uh, to deal with some personal issues. His new puppy, Gus, is not doing so well, so any kind of positive healing energy you can send his way uh, would be much appreciated during this time. But in the meantime, I've arranged for a very special guest to join us and talk about some movies in his stead. Uh, So I would like to welcome the indefatigable Gerald Morris from Two Peas on a Podcast. Welcome to the show, Gerald. Loisos. What's up? <laughs> What's up, brother? I don't know what that word means that you just used to describe me, but I assume it's complimentary. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> b- basically, you're persisting. You're tireless. Okay, all right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Relentless. Uh, I'll take it, man. No, I'm happy to be here, brother. I've uh, you know been on EFG many times before. Went over to live stream for The Cure last year and love linking up with you and, and Justin whenever I can, man. So this is a blast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, you're one of our favorite guests on the show. And at this point, our longtime listeners will no doubt know who you are. But for the uninitiated, uh, go ahead and tell them what Two Peas is all about. Sure, man. Uh, You know, we just do a fun top five countdown show. I mean, that's really what it is. We count down movies, music, TV, and pop culture, a different topic each week with a different guest host, Uh, sometimes more than one guest host, but at least one. And I have them on, and they usually come up with the topic, and then we just come up with our five favorites in said category. You know, you yourself have been on quite a few times. Justin's been on before. Actually, Justin's going to be on this week. This is airing on Thursday, right? Sure is, yeah. So, yeah, so Wednesday, so the day before this aired, uh, he is on my show talking about our holiday horror films, which was a blast. One of my favorite episodes I've done this year with him and Jeff from Cadavercast, but that's it, man. We just we just count down top fives and have a good time and uh, casual conversation in the world of entertainment. Well, that sounds great. And everyone listening should go check out that episode and check out Gerald's show. And we're so thrilled to have you. So Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Gerald, guess what? Christmas is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Just, just 10 days away from when we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, are you excited? Do you have any plans for Christmas this year? Any traditions that you partake in every year? You know, I get, I get really excited, Brian, because, because of my kids, man. You know, it's, it's, uh, I've got young ones and I've got a teenage daughter and it's kind of, I'm kind of all over the spectrum with that, but they all get really excited, which makes me excited. I fear that as they get older and get out of the house, so to speak, I'm going to be Ebenezer Scrooge, I think, in my old age, because <laughs> the season does kind of really wear on me, because I'm, I'm not in retail, but I'm in food service and restaurants, um, and it's just a tough time of year for, for people that work in, in those different fields. Just kind of gets at you a little bit, the Scrooge factor, but I do love the holiday season. My kids bring out that spirit in me, and the decorations I love, the ambiance. You know, it's not snowing where I am, but I love, I love that time of year, too, and the winter setting and all that, so... I would say I'm a fan of, of Christmas. I'm a, I'm a fan of Christmas. How about you, man? Well, I'll likely be working on Christmas, so I feel yeah, your yeah, there you go. <laughs> I feel your pain. But one of my favorite things about the holiday season is revisiting all my favorite holiday movies. Yeah. Um, and it seems that Christmas movies are are few and far between these days. But but this year, all of a sudden, it seemed like there was a, a glut of them that just manifested themselves on streaming services all at once. Mm-hmm. Am mm-hmm. I alone in feeling that? <laughs> no, you're right. I, although I do wonder if maybe our you know perception is heightened because of 2020 and because of a lot of people being shut in their homes. Uh, I wonder if 
there was just kind of an onslaught too because they know everybody's at home. Do you know what I mean? Uh, whereas if everything was being released theatrically, you get maybe one a year, maybe. Um, so I think that might have had something to do with it too. But I do agree with you that it's just like holy shit. <laughs> like everywhere you turn, there's a new Christmas movie. You know. Definitely. Um, well, we're going to talk about three of them today. Mm-hmm. There are many more that we could have discussed, including Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, which mm-hmm. I watched and was fine, or Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, which is fucking the, yikes, <laughs> the greatest movie ever made and is best enjoyed wow. uh, and really can only be enjoyed with a liberal amount of alcohol. Yeah, maybe that's what I messed up then. Yeah. <laughs> did you watch this movie, Gerald? I did. I did, man. I was texting you about an hour ago, and I um I got home from work tonight around uh, it was probably about six thirty, six forty five, and my wife's got dinner going and everything, and my kids are still awake, you know. And I'm like, hey guys, like I'm gonna be on this show later with a buddy of mine. Let's watch Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square <laughs> because I know it's a fam. I know it's PG, it's family, like whatever, you know. So we put it on, and I'm just like, oh, my God. So after about an hour, you know, I had to get my kids to bed. So I'm like, all right, we're just going to stop this. And I decided as I was putting my son to sleep to go ahead and watch it on my phone, the last half of it, at 1.5 speed, on which you can do on Netflix now. And it was not going fast enough for me to get to the end of this movie. <laughs> like, um, you know, I know you wanted to be brief in reference to this film. It, it was, it was okay. It was fun. It was for what it was. I, I get it, but I just wasn't enjoying it. The songs seemed a little forced to me. It, it was seemed like oh, a, they're terrible. It seemed like a set on a high school stage somewhere that they were performing on. Um, it was just not a good movie in my opinion. But I love Dolly Parton and I love the aesthetic, like I already mentioned. So there were some good things to take away from it. But at the end of the day, I kind of thought it was a, a crap fest. So. Well, I think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> hey, there you go. That's, that's fine, sure. <laughs> well, I, I say this ironically uh, because, I mean, the film's a train wreck. It feels like a, commu- it, it feels like a community theater production, like right, a, a right. very earnest, like, let's put on a show type thing. Right. And I can't tell if, if there's a camp quality to it. Right. Um, it's it's indecipherable about whether or not they were intending to be funny or not. So yeah. the whole time I was just making commentary, Mystery Science Theater 3000 style. And, and at several points, I literally had tears of laughter streaming down my face during Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. <laughs> I and I love, I love Dolly Parton. And I think there is a certain self-aware quality that she has, but the movie is... Again, I feel like it's trying to be earnest. It's very bizarre, and it's probably some of the most fun I've had watching a movie all year. So, well, that's great. I, I highly recommend it, but not because I think it's actually a great movie. You right? Know? No, I, I get it. Yeah, you know, if if it did intentionally incorporate the campy factor that you were mentioning, then I probably would enjoy it a lot more. And and maybe they did. You know, maybe that, me and my wife were both watching it. And she, my, by the way, my wife is a giant, like, Hallmark, like, Lifetime movie, Christmas movie person. Like, she'll watch anything with a cat stuck in the tree that the firefighter falls in love with. Like, all that shit, right? And she's watching it with me. And even she's going, I, I don't know. I feel like this is one that Hallmark may have passed on. <laughs> Netflix picked it up. So I, I don't know. I mean, but if it's campy for the sake of being camp, then it probably would be a lot more enjoyable for me. Yeah. Well, anyway, we, we could 
devote a whole sure. feature length episode uh, to to Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, mm-hmm. streaming now on Netflix. By the way, everyone. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, we're going to focus on these three, and I guess you could consider this like kind of like a rapid fire review roundup in a way. So we're going to be going through these one by one. So apologies in advance for straying from the typical format, but hopefully this discussion will give everyone an idea of like which ones to see or which ones to skip. Um, And hopefully they'll find it enjoyable to listen to as well. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Cool. Well, starting things off here, uh, Gerald, are you ready? Let's do it, man. I, I, I told you before. Now, before you start. I told you there's two that I really, really enjoy, and there's one that I'm kind of like, Ew. oh, okay. So, so we'll see. But but you go ahead. So what are we going to talk about first? Uh, well, first up is a film on Hulu uh, called Happiest Season, and this is about Abby, played by Kristen Stewart, who is meeting the family of her girlfriend Harper, played by Mackenzie Davis, for the first time over the holidays. But the catch is that Harper hasn't told her conservative family about their relationship and in fact they're completely unaware that harper is gay and so i guess they have to pretend like they're roommates or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, as we often say on the epic film guys podcast uh hijinks ensue so right. gerald what were your initial thoughts on happiest season well you know this might be unpopular i i love this movie man i really really enjoyed this film um you know now I'm assuming we're going to dive into it a little bit deeper discussing it, but you know, with the exception of kind of the way the film ended uh, was a bit of a letdown for me, but the first like three quarters of the movie was like a perfect holiday rom-com with a lot of the ingredients that we expect from a holiday rom-com. You know, we were just kind of joking about Hallmark Christmas movies. It has a lot of the tropes that are now just, regurgitated literally every romantic comedy that takes place at the holidays. And we saw that, but we saw it from such a fresh angle. And it was like, you know, frankly, it was an important uh, angle. It was an important story. I mean, we have a lesbian story here. We have a gay romance in a holiday rom-com that was a major studio on a major streaming service. And to me, that's a very important step. And it sounds kind of silly saying that in 2020, but we really had not gotten that to this point. I think some of the performances in it are very endearing. I'm an absolute apologist and just fanboy for Kristen Stewart. I absolutely love her. Uh, a lot. Of, I know she's a love or hate kind of actress, and a lot of people hate her. Uh, I everything I see her in, and I, and um, I'll just give a little caveat that I have never seen the Twilight films, but everything else that I have seen her in, I absolutely adore her. Even if the movie's not great, I think she's a great actress. So I was bought in right away when I knew she was the lead role in this. And then, I mean, Dan Levy is a goddamn, I mean, he's a magician. Some of the things he does on camera, you know, we know him from Schitt's Creek, which is which is incredible. And he kind of brings really that same character to this movie as kind of the quippy gay friend. And he's kind of like her moral coach at the same time and kind of her life coach, which is a really cool role that he takes on. But you've got Mary Steenberg in there. You've got, um, what's the girl from um, Allison Brie is in there. So, yeah, I love this movie, man. The ending, I'm not hot on, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But aside from the ending, I absolutely love this film. Awesome. Well, I take a little bit of a different perspective. As as someone in the LGBTQ community, I, I found this film to be extremely frustrating. And, and it's unfortunate that you say that we haven't really gotten a, a lesbian rom-com like this 
uh, and there, to be fair, there have been plenty of lesbian rom-coms, but not released by a major studio and certainly mm-hmm. not attracting this level of talent in the cast, big names, you right, know? Right. So, um, from the outset, I think it appears promising. You know, you have a lesbian mm-hmm. rom-com from a female filmmaker, Clea Duval, um, set around the holidays. You know, you and I are both known to, to root for Kristen Stewart whenever we see her in a film. <laughs> so it seems right up my alley and you simply can't beat the cast but for a movie called happiest season it's chock full of undiluted misery (laughs) (laughs) that's fair every single character aside from just not acting like any sane human being has ever acted is is smug or spiteful or bigoted or abused I, i just watched a lot of it like gasping in horror through my fingers and just i understand there has to be contrived conflict in a rom-com but every single problem that the characters face could be solved in 30 seconds or Mm -hmm. you know a brief clarification or honest conversation um there's a part in which abby is mistakenly framed as a shoplifter which goes absolutely nowhere i have no idea why that's in the movie other than to heap more misfortune onto poor abby i felt so badly for this character so that a lot of that kept me from enjoying the movie. Well, that's a shame. I mean, you know, I already mentioned in the in the intro that that I loved it. Uh, you know, there are some of the hints of what you're talking about that really fell apart for me in the final act, but not necessarily the entire movie. Um, you know, I really, I mean, I, are we doing spoilers or are we doing spoiler free? I really would prefer not to like give right. the ending of the movie away. Right, so, so just try to. <laughs> All right. So. I won't. I, I, so Try I won't. your best. I, I won't, but you'll know what I'm talking about. But I wanted it to be a different fate for our main character, Abby, in the film. I I don't know that that would have fit with the classic holiday rom-com tropes that I was mentioning before. So I kind of get it um, why the filmmaker did not go that direction. But it just seemed a little too safe at the end. And it frankly was a letdown for me and my wife because we were both really enjoying the movie. And, I mean, you'll know what I'm talking about, Brian, but there's a character in the film that I felt like Abby had more chemistry with in the film, and I kind of was kind of rooting for infidelity in a way, which was strange, uh, with like this kind of lesbian love triangle that was going on for, you know, 30 minutes or so in the movie. So that was weird for me as I was watching it, and then to find out my wife was kind of thinking the same thing was a little, was even more strange, because I thought maybe I was by myself there. Everyone I've talked to about this movie says the exact same thing. And it seems like it seems like a pretty obvious conclusion for you to draw while you're watching it. Because here you have Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis who have absolutely no chemistry right. at all. Right. Um, in fact, the central romance has all of the warning signs of an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Har- Harper is toxic and manipulative. She doesn't tell Abby that she hasn't told her parents about them until they're on the way there. Yeah. And then they have to concoct this whole scheme where they have to pretend that Abby is her straight roommate Mm -hmm. and it's really screwed up and it's difficult to overlook when the two main love interests in your rom-com barely seem to connect on an emotional level or else it has to be this like secret clandestine thing. And to me, that's not love, especially when Harper, you know, reconnects with an ex-boyfriend and they stay out until three in the morning and Harper doesn't even text Abby to let her know where she is. And all all of this stuff just really. I, I agree. I think Harper, I mean, it was really strange. And I mean, I guess I'll ask you because this is the first chance I've really had 
to talk about this movie with anyone aside from just for a few seconds with my wife when it, when we watched it a couple weeks ago. But, you know, I feel like the the film went to great lengths in a way to kind of make Harper a villain a little bit. Like, because she was a very, she was not a good significant other in this film. You know, like she didn't do a good job. She didn't meet the needs of her lover. She was, like you said, very manipulative and very withholding with her family, which, you know, this is supposed to be the most important person in your life, but yet you're not even telling anyone. And then the way she treated Abby, you know, on this trip and while they were at her house is, was even worse. So they they go to great lengths to like, because I didn't like Harper really the entire film. Like, I was never on board with her and I wanted something better for Abby, much like Dan Levy's character in the film. And, <laughs> you know, then they, they go to great lengths to do that. And then at the end of the movie, it's like, okay, we're all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. It was just, it was a strange ending to me because it didn't match the way I was led to felt, to feel throughout the rest of the movie. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And here's the thing. I mean, I am 100% understanding that everyone's story is different. And in fact, the movie kind of brings that up. You know, your experience may not be other people's experience. And coming out is a hard thing to do for just about everyone because you don't know how other people will react, especially people you love, your own family. Mm -hmm. But it becomes increasingly frustrating when you're watching it because all of the problems in the movie could easily be solved. Just like that, if Harper just had the courage to, to come out to her family, which has to happen eventually. So it's a foregone conclusion that this has to happen. Mm-hmm. I was similarly frustrated with Love, Simon, another film yeah. uh, that came out that I thought was important, I guess, for young people to see because they mm-hmm. don't see that kind of representation in mainstream movies released by a major studio. So it's important in that respect. But but again, that movie, Simon like screws over his friends and mm-hmm. <laughs> creates all this all this drama because he can't come out. And then at the end he comes out and it's all fine. Right. And everything's wrapped up in a nice neat little bow. So I think that is where my frustration comes from as a viewer. And it doesn't help that you have all these lovable people that you like in other movies. In these roles, you have, you know, Victor Garber and Alison Brie. I, I always perk up when I see Alison Brie in a movie because mm-hmm. I think she's immensely beautiful and talented. And her role in this, she is completely frigid and just plain mean. And then you have Mary Steenburgen, who I thought was literally impossible to dislike no matter what role she played. But I was proven wrong. I hated her in this movie. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a Grinch and uh, trash on this movie, but I I was really dismayed by the level of talent involved. I do have to say that Dan Levy, I mean, you, you brought him up, but he's responsible for a lot of the film's biggest laughs. Oh, sure. And I really loved his presence in this. I've not seen Schitt's Creek, but I hear nothing but wonderful things. Mm -hmm. Um, it must have been the easiest paycheck he ever made doing this movie because he spends most of the film sitting around on the phone. Uh, but he, he swoops in at the end to kind of save the day and bring some mm-hmm. levity and, and some some semblance of humor to the film's train wreck of an ending where, I just, again, I was just watching through my fingers because everything 
everything collides at the family Christmas party. And it's so cringe inducing to watch. But then you have Dan Levy over in the corner making all these one liners that I was just. Yeah, he's great. So I thought that was I thought that was a welcome addition to the cast for sure. Yeah, he's great, man. I mean, he's easily him and Aubrey Plaza are easily my favorite two characters in in this movie. And I love Kristen Stewart as well. But I just hated the choices that her character was making in the film, which which brought that down for me a little bit. The Abby character. But, you know, Dan Levy, I mean, I, I know we're probably wrapping up on this one, but Dan Levy's, you know, monologue that he has towards the end of the movie when he, you know, like you said, comes to save the day. And he's kind of talking to Abby about, you know, kind of the horrors of coming out, if you will, and the challenges that that people face and how it's different for everyone. And, you know, he, he's telling her that and he's also kind of, in a way, humanizing Mackenzie Davis's character a little bit for the audience, too, because that makes us kind of stop and go, OK, you know, like I hear what he's saying. It's almost like he's telling us that monologue, you know, as well. So that helped me give a little bit of semblance to the proceedings thereafter. But it was just such a beautiful moment. I thought that scene in the movie and I teared up in that scene. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say. And my wife did, too. I thought it was a very powerful acting performance by him. And it was a scene that was unlike any other scene in that movie. It was a very emotional kind of like, especially to anyone that has had to come out, which, of course, I haven't. But, you know, I can imagine that that is true, that, you know, it's like my buddy down the street came out to his folks and they they were great and they didn't care. But, you know, I have another friend that came out and his dad didn't talk to him for 15 years or whatever. So everybody's different. You have all these different scenarios that could play out because it is a very frightening thing to have to confront as a young person. I thought that was a great scene in that movie. I just wanted to mention it. Oh, for sure. The film wants to pull heartfelt tears mm-hmm. out of us. And I, and it might work for some people. It didn't work for me. I felt all of the characters were far too hateful to deserve heartfelt tears. You know, know? I, and I, you know, you're, you're right, man. You're the epic film guy, dude. But, you know, I do this thing where, and, and it's a, a fault of my own, and I know we're talking about this movie, but sometimes I'll go into a movie and I'll be so excited about the actors or in some cases the filmmakers that I'm such huge fans of theirs that it's really hard for, for me not to enjoy it in some way. Do you know what I mean? And oh, there absolutely. were so many people in this movie that I adore so much. Uh, Kristen Stewart, Aubrey Plaza, uh, namely, and I also love Allison Brie and Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek. So I'm just like, oh, this is, I mean, and it's Christmas time. I mean, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> of course, you know, so I guess I, I, I should be more critical of it, but I just love it so much because I just enjoy seeing these people in this, in this holiday rom-com setting, you know? Definitely. Well, it's certainly starrier than, you know, your average Hallmark sure. rom-com, but mm-hmm. unfortunately I, I just found it just as contrived. Um, so I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I understand the movie has its heart in the right place. It has a good heart and it's, it's really trying to make you root for, Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. I just couldn't because of how toxic it was just from the opening scene. I was like, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was my big problem too. Was, I mean, like, you know, I don't want to spoil it like we mentioned before, but had the ending taken a left turn instead of a right turn and kind of, you know, I guess without sounding insensitive, you know, had Abby's character made the right decision. (laughs) Well, yeah. And and that's, that's the thing. The, The movie, is in a way it's about forgiveness and it's about giving people second chances. Um, but it also would have been something completely 
different for a movie of this type to present you with a different kind of ending or one that was kind of unconventional or unorthodox. Um, mm. a- and for me, that would have been more satisfying. But hey, you know, <laughs> you can't yeah, have everything. Yeah, you can't have it all, I guess. So, uh, Gerald, uh, yep. fi- final thoughts and a number rating uh, on a sure. scale of one to 10 for happiest season. Sure. Well, you know, I think we we covered it. I mean, you know, the ending I hated. I didn't like the fate of the main characters at the end of the film. Um, you know, had that been a little bit different, it would have helped me overlook some of the other stuff that was obviously not perfect in the film. But, you know, these characters, I just, and I mean the actors and the actresses involved, I just love so much. I love holiday rom-coms anyway. I'm kind of a sucker for them. And I do feel like this was an important film for the LGBT community. You know, it's a major studio. It's on a major streaming service that's in probably, you know, 80% of family homes in America right now, meaning Hulu. And there's a lot of big names that are going to draw viewers to this story. And I feel like it is an important story and it's long overdue. So for those reasons, and because I will never give a case to a movie lower than a 7 out of 10, I'm going to give it a 7. Right on, right on. Well, completely different perspective for me. I'm giving it a 5. I just, I'm hovering between a 4 and a 5, but there was enough to get me through. There were enough laughs, especially from Dan Levy. Um, and, and, I, and I love the setting i love the actors but unfortunately i just couldn't uh i couldn't get on board with the characters they play so uh happiest season currently streaming on hulu uh check it out and we shift from hulu now to netflix and we both uh watched a film called the christmas chronicles part two and the first christmas chronicles was released two years ago and was from what i remember a pretty pleasant surprise it offered up a fun story with a lot of heart and Kurt Russell is probably the coolest Santa there's ever been on film. Would you agree with that, Gerald? Yeah, he's up there. Uh, I can't give spoilers because we did our top five Santa Clauses. That hadn't come out yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> It'll be out next week, actually, after this one airs. But That's something uh, to look forward to. But he, but he's mentioned. I'll just put it that way. He's mentioned. Oh, right on. Okay. Okay. Well, um, well now we have The Christmas Chronicles 2 and we pick up with our kids from the first movie, Teddy, played by Judah Lewis, who's in this movie for all of about five minutes, and Kate, played by Darby Camp, who's turned into a total brat, um, complaining while vacationing on a beach in Cancun that yeah. she's not spending Christmas at home. <laughs> Boo-hoo. Yeah. I right? Was, I mean- <laughs> I was that, that lost me from the beginning on this one. I was like, you're upset? <laughs> like, what? Right. So she decides to ditch her family and get on a plane by herself to celebrate christmas alone i guess yeah. <laughs> yeah it was a really weird start for sure uh but she along with her stepbrother to be jack played by jazier bruno are whisked away to the north pole by bell snickle played by julian dennison an evil elf who wants revenge on santa for extremely dumb reasons mm-hmm. and there she reunites with santa and mrs claus played by goldie hahn and they have to work together to save Christmas or whatever. Um, Gerald, what do you think about the Christmas Chronicles Part Two? I Initial you, thoughts. I think you nailed it just in your <laughs> just in your wrap up there. Uh, I mean, look, man, Kurt Russell as Santa Claus, and then as a bonus, Goldie Hawn as Mrs. Claus literally doesn't get any better. But I will say, if there's a plus column and a minus column, that might be the only thing in the plus column in this movie for me. Uh, I mean, the Christmas spirit, of course, and the Christmas atmosphere, yes. 
there were some good scenes in this film that I really enjoyed. Um, and maybe we'll touch on this specifically. But as a film, you know, what this film suffers from is a classic, for me at least, is a classic sequel not living up to the original. That's what this is suffering from, in my opinion. So I feel like, you know, we've already kind of joked about it here in the beginning of this conversation that Kurt Russell is just such a great Santa Claus, and he is. I mean, he's going to, in my opinion, 50 years from now, if somebody does a list of their favorite Santas and movies, he's probably still going to be on the list. Like, he just does such a good go- a good job, and he uh, is just perfect as this iconic Christmas character of Santa Claus. So they said, okay, he. we know everybody thinks that, or the majority of people think that. So we can't stop. We have to make more of these movies. We have to keep doing Kurt Russell, Santa Claus vehicles, you know, so they come up with a sequel. It felt rushed. The screenplay is garbage, in my opinion. Uh, the plot doesn't really make any sense. And then, you know, the character of, of Belschnickel, I mean, it would have been better if they'd gotten Rain Wilson from The Office to play it, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I would have enjoyed it a little bit more, but it was a little weird how that played out as well. And his motive was really vague. I didn't really get what was going on there either. And it's just a very forgettable film for me, aside from Russell and, and Goldie Hawn. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned the script, and I want to mention that because Chris Columbus, who only produced the first film, takes up the directing and screenwriting responsibilities for this installment. And you have to wonder where the Chris Columbus who made Home Alone and, and wrote Gremlins went, because I fucking hated this thing. Yeah. This was a slog to get through. At one point, I looked to see how much of the movie was left because it seemed like things were wrapping up. There was a whole hour and five minutes left, and I just felt my heart just like <laughs> sink into my stomach. This is lazy, lazy, lazy screenwriting. Yeah, Every single line was, was exposition, including such groaner lines as, I know things have been different since your mom died. Mm-hmm. And there were there were several like intriguing ideas, as you said. There were some scenes and moments and ideas that could have been interesting for uh, for one sequel, and they could have saved the rest for another sequel. Mm-hmm. But because because you had you know the backstory and the origin for Santa, you had the Belsnickel conflict, you had the Yule Cat, uh, a, a sick reindeer subplot, uh, Santa's elves at one point. Uh, are are drugged and they just go crazy and just wreak all sorts of mayhem. <laughs> uh, time travel out of nowhere for some reason. And, and all this stuff just crammed into the movie, leaving absolutely no room for development and making the runtime at least a half hour longer than this kind of movie should be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, you know, I would say there's probably two, maybe three scenes I take away from this movie as like remembering them. The rest of the movie, I don't remember because it was so forgettable. It was so just jargon, just like jumbled jargon. And kind of that's kind of like what you were saying when you were alluding to the screenplay, too. It just didn't make any sense, really. Like, I didn't understand what our, you know, who our hero was, who our villain was, what our villain's motive was. Like, it just seemed like a bunch of this imagery that worked in the first one, and then a lot of other stuff kind of added to it, and they know that millions of people are going to stream it, and they did. You know, I mean, it's Christmas time, people are watching it, Kurt Russell's an amazing Santa Claus, people are going to watch it. So in that respect, I guess they won, <laughs> but, you know, I'm sitting here as, as a lover of movies, and I, and I, and you know this about me, and Justin gets on me about it even more, but I have a very hard time, like, disliking a film, like... 
I usually always find something where I'm like, yeah, it was all right. You know, it was okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I mean, Christmas Chronicles too, you know, the first one's great. I mean, like you said earlier when you were talking about a pleasant surprise, I think is what you said. And I agree with that. Like it was, it kind of came out of nowhere. Honestly, I didn't remember them promoting it a lot. And I really enjoyed the original. And then seeing Kurt Russell in that role too, for the first time back then, I was like, this is perfect, you know? So this is just set up for uh, disaster because your expectations are going to be so high off of that first one. And because not only is Kurt Russell back, but now we have Goldie Hawn in this much larger role as Mrs. Claus. I just expected more from it. And you got a name like Chris Columbus, man. I mean, you were talking about that, you know, with Home Alone and, and the first couple Harry Potter films. And I mean, you know, this dude knows what he's doing. So I don't know where the disconnect was with the story here, but kind of like what you said, I just didn't really like it at all. I mean, I, I will say without giving away any spoilers that I did really, really enjoy the about five minute scene or so in the airport, which is kind of ironic because that's as the result of time travel, which I don't even know why that's in this movie. But because it is, we got the scene in the airport with Darlene Love performing the song with Kurt Russell and uh, the young girl meets uh, an interesting visitor there in the airport. I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that was a scene that I really take away from this movie. I really enjoyed. Um, but and I, that was definitely Columbus uh, trying to do a Home Alone homage as well. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. You could see the hints there. Absolutely. But, I mean, there's stuff like that where it kind of like is memorable. You know what I mean? It's memorable. Uh, you know, much like when, when Russell did it in the first movie in the jail cell. You know, those types of numbers and like when he's able to ham it up like that is really memorable. But overall, the story just falls apart and it just never, the pieces of the puzzle never come back together for me. And with the exception of a few enjoyable scenes, I just really did not like it. Yeah, the, the thing that disappointed me the most about it is that the original Christmas Chronicles had a little bit of an edge to it. I mean, it was still a movie for kids and families, obviously, but Santa was written as someone like a little bit unpredictable, a little bit devil may care, and he was cool. And this movie feels like it was written exclusively for babies. Like th- this is geared toward toward a much younger audience than the first film, I feel like, which is that isn't necessarily a bad thing. But there were moments that literally made me feel like I was watching an episode of Dora the Explorer on Nick Jr. <laughs> like there, there's a scene in which Mrs. Claus sends Jack on a on a fetch quest by himself to get some kind of ingredient for uh, a potion that she's making or something. Mm-hmm. And she gives him several cookies, one of which um, is like a snowman-shaped one. And she says, if he eats it, it'll give him courage. And later on, he's he practically turns to the camera, holds up the, the two cookies, and asks out loud, which cookie will give me courage? And I expected the blue cursor from Door of the Explorer to appear on screen and click on the snowman cookie. <laughs> it had, like, absolutely oh, no respect for the target audience watching it. Who would be two years older than when they saw the original, presumably. Right, right. And you know what? I never thought about that overarching thing until you just said it. But you're right. This movie did feel a lot more, a lot younger than the first one. And I didn't think about that until you just said it. But you're right. Uh, You know, the first one was a little bit more like teen angst kind of like kind of vibe. And this one was much more like a middle school kind of like fun vibe, you know? Yeah, and it's like, shouldn't a film series grow and mature with its audience rather than treat them like infants? I mean, wouldn't Columbus know that from working on, you know, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and then Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which was much darker? So I, I don't, I don't really know why the movie was written the way that it was. Yeah, I don't. I either. don't understand it. 
I don't know either. I mean, I can only assume it was because it was rushed. You know, did he write it as well? I'm sorry if I missed that. He co-wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I assume because it was rushed. I mean, it can be my only guess because I mean they had to get Kurt Russell back in the red suit, man. I mean that you know that's probably what it comes down to. They know they're going to get streams. They know they're going to make money, uh, but they didn't want to let it slip slip away. Uh, but yeah, I I mean I think it's obvious that neither one of us are really fans of this one. I mean it's a disappointment too, man. That's that's the big thing for me is it's such a disappointment. You know I hate when sequels uh, let's be honest okay sequels are very rarely better than the original it does happen but i would say that it's fair to say that it's a rarity so i get that but i hate when sequels are just made just for the sake of cashing in on the original as opposed to trying to add to that narrative and add to that story and i feel like that this is one of those because it didn't add anything to the Christmas Chronicles original. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that, but but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. I mean, you had the fact that the film spends more time in the North Pole, which we didn't get to see a whole lot of in the original. The fact that Goldie Hawn is given more screen time, even though she has very little to do other than stand there. <laughs> um, I appreciate that they gave more screen time to her. So there were ways that this could have added to the original or mm-hmm. or at least further the characters or the or the right. story um the belschnickel thing i mean not a bad idea in theory but belschnickel is probably the least intimidating villain of all time yeah, yeah. our boys over at the the countdown podcast uh the boys down under <laughs> just recently did an episode of least threatening villains and they should make a part two to that and they should include belschnickel i think julian dennison who was amazing in Hunt for the Wilder People. And he was in Deadpool 2. He was the villain in Deadpool 2. And it was funny because, you know, this chubby Kiwi kid was what you would least expect in a typical comic book movie villain. So um, I liked him in that too, but he's bad in this, legit awful. And he's completely out of place. And they didn't even bother to put any kind of like makeup on him or make him dress in any distinctive way. He's just wearing like shorts and a hoodie. And what's his motivation, Brian? Is he is he just wants to do like a rival like Christmas town on the South Pole, I guess? Well, they explain this in a in a flashback, <laughs> but basically he becomes jealous of the children of the world. I guess because Santa didn't spend enough time like inventing with him. That was his thing in, in inventing and he that's what he enjoyed doing with Santa and I guess uh he just wanted more time to do that and was jealous that he didn't get that time that he wanted. So uh, yeah, I guess he's okay. just mad at Santa for that reason. As I said, extremely dumb. Right. <laughs> dumb adds to the point that we we're making for lazy screenwriting. Uh, you know, I'm not from, I'm not super familiar with the actor. I've never seen Wilder people. I did see Deadpool too. Um, and I did enjoy him in that as well. Like you mentioned, it was kind of a surprise twist there in that film, but in this movie, I mean, you already said it, but he just seemed so out of place. I mean, he just didn't seem like that unsavory character that's going to be rivaling somebody like Santa Claus. It just more seemed like a little brat kid kind of whining because he didn't get what he wanted. Exactly. You know? Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I still have a lot of love for Russell's portrayal of Santa, um, but he, he isn't given anything really distinctive to say or do and neither is mrs claus um so ultimately i was let down by this film which justin warned me against watching last week on our top five worst christmas movies episode Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I thought I'd give it a fair shake because I enjoyed the original so much. But I was I was really let down. I was really let down by Columbus, who should know better. This was clearly something he wrote for an easy paycheck over a weekend, and hopefully I'll forget about it just as quickly. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me Gerald, too. Uh, your final thoughts and your number rating uh, on a scale of one to ten for the Christmas Chronicles Part Two. Well, you know, it's just a disappointment, man. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I don't expect sequels to, you know, outdo the original, but I want them to at least further the story and further the characters. And this movie, not only did it not do that, it just didn't even bother to try to do that. Uh, I mean, it was just, let's get Kurt Russell back in the red suit. Uh, It'll be a nice touch to bring Goldie Hawn in here, and people will tune in. And they did do that, but then when we tuned in, we just didn't, we weren't fulfilled. You know, at least I wasn't, so... I really did not like this movie aside from Russell and Hahn. That was really it for me. So I'm going to give it a 3 out of 10. And I'm going to be in lockstep with you. 3 out of 10 for me as well. If you care to check it out, The Christmas Chronicles Part 2 is currently streaming on Netflix. And we shift now to a film that's available on demand called Fat Man, released mm-hmm. this year. And um, th- this premise, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just going to talk a little bit about what the movie is about because you're not going to believe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mel Gibson stars as Chris Kringle or Santa Claus, of course, who, who is forced into a contract with the U S government to make control panels for military jets after a rise in naughty children leads to a decline in, in toy manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a psychotic 12 year old Ben Shapiro looking motherfucker <laughs> gets a lump of coal for Christmas and decides to hire a hitman played by Walton Goggins to bring him Santa's head for revenge. Mm-hmm. And 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 so this premise sounds absolutely bonkers, and it's billed as an action comedy, but it's not really either of those things. Mm-hmm. It's more of a dark indie character study of a Santa Claus who fucks, uh, drinks, shoots, and has become so jaded by the thankless business of being Santa Claus that he begins to lose sight of the meaning of Christmas. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on here, and mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get into it a little bit. But uh, Gerald, your initial thoughts on Fat Man, please. Love it, man. Uh, you know, anybody that listens to my show regularly will probably know this, but I am in love with this film, man. I got to see it at a film festival back in October. So I saw this really early on. It was actually the world premiere when they showed it there at the film festival here locally. I got to have the filmmakers, the writers, directors on my show, the Nelms brothers. And when I talked to them about this movie and about a lot of other things in their career, I love it, man. I love, I mean, you nailed it in the intro there and really you were just describing the movie, but you know, I mean, if, if I'm going to give a very short review of this film, I'm going to say, this is a movie where Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus. And Walton Goggins is a hitman who wants to kill him. And that's the re- not only the story of the movie, but that's the review of the film. Like, that nails it. I mean, that you have to see that. Um, you know, this is a movie that I'm obviously in love with, yes. But this is a movie that is going to be watched every year from now until the day I die for me. Uh, it is an instant Christmas classic, in my opinion. Um, and it's just, you know, it does have... You were right by saying it's not an action comedy. Now, there are hilarious things throughout this film, namely on the lips of Walton Goggins. I absolutely love him in this movie. Uh, But a lot of things are funny, too, because of how outlandish they are, while also seeming 
real, which is a great feat. I feel like the gnomes were able to accomplish. And, uh, you know, it's just so unique because we know Santa and we know this jolly guy in the red suit. And like, that's the lore of Santa Claus. I mean, even the Kurt Russell one we were talking about is that way, you know, and that's just all we've ever been force fed. Okay. But it's like, these guys wrote this screenplay 15 years ago and they say, okay, what if Santa Claus can do all the shit that the fairy tale books say that he can do, but he's just a real guy. He's just a dude that lives in Canada that's trying to pay his power bill. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and they kind of take that idea and they just run with it. And I got to talk to them about their process writing it too, which is really interesting. Uh, and we had a great conversation actually off mic too about Mel Gibson and about their process and uh, they're great dudes, and I, this is one of my favorite films of the year so far. Damn. Well, I listened to that interview, and I thought it was fantastic. You did a great job, and thanks, man. It was. It was. It, it definitely brought a lot of um, context to the film and a lot of insight, mm-hmm. uh, which I appreciated. Um, yeah. So I really loved this movie too. I suppose I could understand people getting impatient or frustrated with it, um, as you know, it's you hear the premise and you read the synopsis and you have a picture in your head of what kind of movie it is. So um, it, it does take a little while to get to the mayhem that I think you're expecting when you hear the premise. And, and the tone is really hard to pin down too. So I, I understand if it's not everyone's bag. Um, and even I have to admit that not all of it entirely comes together, but it really worked for me as a whole. I liked it way more than I was expecting to. And I think part of the reason for that is the pacing. Mm-hmm. For me, because there's there's plenty of time to get acquainted with each character. Um, right. And so when Walton Goggins inevitably shows up at the workshop at the end, you know, guns a blazing, mm-hmm. uh, you give a shit. You care. Mm-hmm. There are several beautiful scenes between Santa and Mrs. Claus, played by Marianne Jean-Baptiste. Right. Um, and, and they're supportive and they're loving partners to each other. And I think her performance adds depth to the relationship and her warmth like perfectly complements his gruffness. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's great in the movie, and their relationship really. Uh, you know, I talked about this a little bit when we when we covered it on my show too. But their relationship really added an unexpected element of heart to that film too. There was a lot of heart in this movie, and you read the at least for me, you read the synopsis and you see the trailer and like. You know, you see everybody on Twitter kind of going crazy when the trailer came out. This is going to be the craziest shit ever. And you just don't expect, like, you expect this kind of, like, schlocky, you know, almost like a canon movie. You know, you love those. I mean, almost like that kind of, like, story where it's just so schlocky and unrealistic. But then you get into it and it has all this heart and depth to it, um, which was really surprising for me. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because when we went off mic on that episode when I talked to those guys... One of the things that they were asking me about and they were somewhat concerned about in a way was the reception uh, based on the trailer versus seeing the movie because they were worried that there may be uh, a perception of like false advertising based on the trailer because the trailer really does show you this is a balls to the wall kind of like action flick. It shows you like uh, the last the last half hour essentially. <laughs> right, right. And then the movie, you get, you know, a much more like slower paced film where it leads to that. But like you said, has a great character development. Character driven. Yeah. Yeah. It really connects you to a lot of the things that you're going to be witnessing. And uh, there's just a lot of heart in the movie. And, you know, it was emotional at times, which is kind of crazy when you think about 
you know, what it is that, that you're watching, that it was able to do that. Definitely. And we have to talk about Mel Gibson, who I, yeah. I think much like Kurt Russell, I think is a perfect choice to play like mm-hmm. a more jaded, badass, like down on his luck Santa. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, no matter what you think of him as a person, I mean, I personally think, you know, some of his comments and stuff from the past, uh, I, I don't like him as a person, but you have to admit he's a great actor and you have to admit right. he he's great in this, probably better than I've seen him in a long time playing Santa in this movie. He gives it his all. Right. No, he's great, man. I mean, he, you know, as an actor, he's great. I mean, I, seldom, seldom disappoints when he when he acts. So I've never seen a Mel Gibson role, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, where I go, man, he really didn't try that. Like, I always feel like he's giving a great performance, you know, and he's said some very uh, unsavory things that, uh, frankly, are not are shitty, you know, and that lends to possibly his character off camera. But, you know, man, when this art versus artist thing comes up, I never really know which way to go. But I'm just trying to look at them. We're talking about Fat Man right now, right? So I'm just just trying to look at Fat Man. And I'm just saying that it's a great movie. And I think Mel Gibson, the actor, really nailed this role. Like, you really get a sense of... uh, And maybe there is some truth coming into that role, too, from his personal life. I mean, I don't know. But you do get a sense that he's kind of down on his luck. He's kind of at the end of his rope. And he really doesn't know if he has the strength to carry on. You know, and I'm talking about a Santa Claus as Chris Kringle. Uh, But he knows he has to, you know, and he knows the fat man's going to always have his eye on you. You know what I mean? Um, And I think he does a great job, man. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of this movie, and he's a big reason why. Definitely. And another big reason why is Walton Goggins. I mean, oh, he's yeah. he's clearly having a, a grand old time playing this like hamster obsessed <laughs> assassin. And he's in like Arrested Development and he clearly has a vendetta of his own against Santa. It's a really clever kind of adversary for Santa to <laughs> go up against in the end. Um, it, it does lead to some questions regarding the internal logic of the film like Mm -hmm. does every adult believe in santa claus or is it just walton goggins who believes in santa right uh the the movie never really makes that clear because there are are adults especially those who work for the government who are working with santa and and so you have to wonder like do normal people believe in santa or is it just the government and uh, anyway it doesn't matter because it's a christmas movie and you can kind of suspend your disbelief Mm -hmm. with a lot of this you know you can substitute Justin's canon quarantine catchphrase. It's a canon movie with right. it's a Christmas movie. So it doesn't really matter. You're going to have to overlook certain things, but I mean despite that the ideas at play here are really clever and I think the movie does an admirable job with like establishing setup and payoff. Like I think it's a really like solid script. And mm-hmm. uh like I said Go- Goggins is just fantastic. I always love him when I see him in movies. Oh, and, he's uh, so good, man. He's so good. He you know, not that it I mean, it's hard to do because you got Mel Gibson and John Baptiste, but I mean, Walton Goggins owns every scene that he's in in this movie. He's the number one comic relief in the film, too. Almost every scene he's in, you're laughing, but you're also kind of horrified by what's going yeah, on. You're scared of him, for sure. Uh, you know, he just really, really does that so well on both sides of the sword there. But, you know, I love what the Nelms brothers did with that script, too, because. They did make that lore of Santa Claus and the kind of fantasy elements that we know of Santa Claus kind of 
there was a level of ambiguity there where they kind of gave nods to it and they kind of mentioned it, but you never saw it. You know, you never saw him on the sleigh and you never, you know what I mean? You never saw him flying through the sky and that kind of shit. But they did talk about it. You know, he talked about how he got injured when he was flying the sleigh and somebody shot a gun at his sleigh and you know, like all that stuff. So I like how they kind of kept it in somewhat of the realm of what we know. They grounded it, yeah. yeah. But they also made him like a real dude too, which I thought was cool. Definitely. And it definitely plays it more straight than you would expect based on the right. ludicrous premise. <laughs> exactly, exactly, but, yep. So, I mean, wrapping it up, I think for me, it's not quite an instant classic. Like, I don't know if I'd watch this every year. I definitely revisit it every couple years. I bought the film on uh, oh, iTunes. Nice. And so nice. I, I, I think it was money well spent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's a really solid little slow burn B movie with more brains and more heart than I was expecting. And it ends in a great shootout scene with honest to God squibs instead of CGI blood, which like I was right. thrilled. I was thrilled to see that real explosions, mm-hmm. real squibs. You know, when people got shot in the chest, there was, there was a blood squib that sprayed. So I, that's, that's a lost art to be honest. Yeah. And I love that kind of Western uh, oh, yeah. shootout and, and and face off at the end of the movie i mean what more could you want really <laughs> yeah i mean you know these guys are great filmmakers i think they're going to be big names uh, in the next decade if, I, if i'm being honest i mean they're they're a great duo they did a film called small town crime a few years ago which is even better than fat man uh, if you can believe it or not and that also has a great kind of western showdown kind of vibe at the end of that film too at an old abandoned train station in that movie it's got robert forrester in it it's a great film you should look it up if you haven't I, seen it i definitely should yeah, small I'm interested town now, yeah. Yeah, small town crime's great. But, you know, getting back to Fat Man, I mean, I'll just give you my wrap of my score. But, I mean, it's no mystery to anyone that knows me. I love this movie. It's one of my favorite movies of, of 2020. It's going to be a staple for me every holiday season. I also purchased it. I'm glad I did. Um, you know, I have somewhat of a connection to it, being able to see it first and talking to the filmmakers and so on, and then diving into their filmography, too, and um, you know, they're such down to earth guys, which is which is cool because Santa in this movie is a down to earth dude. And it's Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't be thinking of him in those terms, but we do. He's trying to pay his bills and he's fighting with his wife, and it's like just normal shit that, you know, that we go through that he's dealing with. But guess what? You also have to please billions of children across the world, you know. Um, so I thought it was great, man. It's a very unique story. It has a lot of different elements built into it. The, the Christmas holiday theme is there, obviously, because it's a Santa Claus, Chris Kringle story. But you've got action in there. You've got this kind of like dark comedy in there. You've got the the romance with him and Mrs. Claus. You have all the heart and the emotion built in uh, to the relationship that Santa has with his workshop and so on and so forth. Great performances all around. Great direction. Amazing script. I love this movie. I am going to give it an 8 out of 10. Very good. And you mentioned and you mentioned kind of the holiday atmosphere of the movie. I don't think the movie goes overboard with it, um, but I love little subtle touches like you'll have Santa wearing red flannel and then you'll have Mrs. Claus in the same shot wearing like a green cardigan or something. And just like mm-hmm. little things like that make it feel more Christmassy. Right. Um, and I love that aspect to it. I'm going to give Fat Man a seven out of ten. Really, really enjoyable flick. Uh, it's currently on demand digitally. And you can buy the Blu-ray coming out January 26th. Unfortunately, a little bit after the holiday season, but still worth checking out. And uh, again, I I blind bought it and I'm really glad I did. Yeah, awesome, man. 
And that just about does it, Gerald. I mean, this was a total blast. A great honor, as always, to have you on the show. Oh, man. Don't you, you're too nice. It's, a, it's an honor to be here, man. It's an honor to chat with you whenever I can. And you probably brought a lot more insight to these films. I'm glad I was here to go. Yeah, I love Kristen Stewart. Next. But yeah, thanks for having me, for sure. Yeah, we all love Kristen Stewart, for sure. So, um, so if you'd be so kind as to let our listeners know where they can find you. Sure, man. Uh, the easiest thing is just follow us on Twitter, to be honest. It's just two Ps on a pod, and that's T-W-O spelled out. We're hosted on Podbean, and you can find us on all the podcast platforms, at least to my knowledge, and that's going to be under two Ps on a podcast. But yeah, we're on all the social medias and podcast platforms under that name. I hope you look us up and give us a go. Couldn't recommend it more. Um, and you can find us, the Epic Film Guys, wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, etc. And social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Epic Film Guys. You can also join our Facebook fan community, The Hobster's Dumpster, where you can connect with us directly. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. It really does help us out. Justin will be returning next week, and we have a very exciting retrospective episode in store for you all. I'll give you a hint. Mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. But a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> That'll be great. Uh, I think but, I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, but, but until then... I'm Epic Film Guy Brian, and we will see you at the movies. Start feeling the spirit. Just repeat after me. We're gonna be alright. We're gonna be alright. We're gonna be alright. We're gonna be alright. It's alright, it's alright. It's alright.